Let's learn together a saga involving one of, I feel, the most difficult agarathas, definitely the most esoteric agarathas in the Shas. The Gemara in Saka, Daf Memchesam tells us of a disagreement between two mini, two apostates. In Hebrew, they called the min. And says the Gemara, Hano Trey Mini. There were these two apostates. Chad Shmei Sason, Chad Shmei Simcha. One's name was Sason, one's name was Simcha. And there's an argument between them. Amale Sason and Simcha. Sason says to Simcha, Ano Adifna Minoch. I'm better than you. Dixiv Sason Vesimcha Yasigu. The Pasuk in, the, in its context is talking about what the Jewish people will receive in the future. And it says, I'll receive Sasan and Simcha. So it puts the word Sasan first. So the second min, Simcha, responds to Sasan and he says, I'm better than you. This Pasuk says, and it's talking about the rejoicing of the Jewish people after the victory against Haman and uh, the other Amalekim. And it says there was Simcha and Sasan for the Jews. So in this Pasuk it puts Simcha before Sasan. So each one has brought a proof from a Pasuk that it puts their word or their name of their word before the other one. But I'm not yet done. Sasan the Simcha. Sasan says to Simcha, Chad one day, Shavkucha, they will leave you. Veshavich parvanko, they'll make you somebody who shows people which direction to go. A human signpost of sorts. Yechsev ki v'simcha teitzayu, people will go out with simcha. So simcha will be the one to show them where to go out. Amale simcha l'sas, not to be outdone. Simcha responds to Satan, and he says, Chad yoyim shavkucha, one day they'll leave you. They'll have full water with you. You'll draw water with Sasan. So this is the Gemara. We have these two individuals called Simcha and Sasan. They begin by arguing which one has precedence over the other. Does Simcha come first or does Sasan come first? And afterwards, each one has a negative, so to speak, interpretation of what's going to happen to his rival. Sasan says to Simcha that they'll make you into a signpost, a parvanka, someone who shows the way, and Simcha says to Sasan they'll make you into something to draw water with. Very esoteric sugya. Rashi the Marshal don't add much to explain to us what's the Gemara talking about. Who are these men? What's the argument about? Mouse is something of significance that the Gemara needs to record. Let's try and understand it a little bit. The Torah tells us when discussing the Haftarah for the Shabbos of Cholamoid. Normally, the rule of Haftarahs is that there's a connection between the Torah reading of the week and the Haftarah of the week. The Haftarah will either touch on the similar points or the similar story that the Torah reading discussed. 
Yet when we come to the reading for Cholamoyed, both by Sukkot and by Pesach, the Kriya Satorah for Cholamoyed is Hashem giving Moshe the second Luchos and teaching him the 13 Midas of Rachamim. The Haftarah. On Shabbos Cholamoyed Pesach, we read about Ichas Lanavi bringing back to life the bones in the Valley of Dura. And in Cholamoyed Sukkot, we read about Ichas's description of the war in the future between Gog and Magog. What's the connection between them and the Parsha? Says the Tur, quoting Rav Haigon, that we have a Messiah, we have a tradition, that the war of Gog and Magog is going to be fought on Sukkot, and the resurrection of the dead, Tchir Semesim, is going to be on Pesach. And therefore, Cholamoy Daftar isn't discussing the Parsha, it's discussing the time of year, and this is the appropriate time of year for the, the, the Mochemes Kogumagog. And when it comes to Cholamoyed Pesach, so it's the appropriate time of year to discuss Tchisa Mason. Now this idea of the future of Gogumagog, as the Potok says, Hashem will be Makabit's Kola Umas Nishalani Mochamu. Hashem will gather all the nations against the Jewish people for battle. This idea of the influence of the nations is also a very much a part of Sukkot. We know that the Pariyachag, the offerings of the bulls, we brought every day of Sukkot, starting with 14 the first day, and ending with 7 on the 7th day, together make up 70, Parim 70 bulls, corresponding to the Shemimomis. So on the one hand, we bring a carbon for the welfare of the game. On the other hand, we show the influence diminishing from the first day of Sukkot to the last day of Sukkot. So really, this is the time to discuss this concept. What's the function of the game? What's the influence in the world? And if they do have an influence, why is it something which is going to become minimized over the course of time? Now, even though the game began as 17 independent nations, we read in Pashas Noach, some of them were the children of Ham, some of the children of Yefes, some of the children of Shem. They spread out and each became its own people, its own country, its own language. But at a later stage, they became two dominant forces in the world, which either captured or battled, so to speak was victorious over many of these nations. The one primary influence of the world is the influence of Esau. The other sphere of influence of the world is the influence of Ishmael. The Vilnagon says that Esau and Ishmael each took, so to speak, 35 of these almost under their uh, overlordship under their authority. The Goyen points out that on the Karbanus of all the days of Sukkot, there was always a Chatzus, a Karban Chatzus which was brought, which was a goat, except in some days, it's called the Chatzus, a Seir, for Chatzus, and sometimes it's called the Seir Izim. The Goyen makes a calculation of the amounts of forest of the days that it's called the Seir, and that is it's called the Seirism, and each one comes to 35. And the God says on that that 
the 35 of the Nomos are under the international social influence of Asaf, the other 35 are under the authority, or under the sphere of influence of Ishmael. And therefore they together make up the 70 Umas. Now we understand that the power of Esau and Ishmael isn't necessarily political. It wasn't a country of Esau or a country of Ishmael that has conquered the world, even though obviously the Roman Empire were descendants of Esau. But the Roman Empire has long since crumbled into nothingness. The influence of Esau we have in the world is the influence of Esau's religion, of Christianity. The influence of Ishmael we have in the world is the influence of Ishmael's religion, which is Islam. And if that's the case, the two major world forces which stand in opposition to Qal Yisrael and also in opposition to each other are the forces of the religion of Esav and the religion of Ishmael. Now, we could ask the question, what was Hashem's, so to speak, Cheshpun in allowing such tremendous success both to the descendants of Asa and to the descendants of Ishmael that they should both overtake half the world. They should both have 35 nations under their direction. Says the Rambam, came out the last Rambam in Yana Chazak at the end of Hilkos Mirachim, Perekidana. And the Rambam talks about it. And the Rambam says like this, I'll read it outside. Rambam says, Rambam says, the end of I'm reading it inside. He says, we should know, Mokshavis Bari Aylam, Ainkar Fadim Nasigam. Humanity is able to understand. In any way, the Makshava, the, the plan of Hashem. And he says, Everything regarding Yeshua and Oitri, that's the plan of Christianity. And the Ishmaeli, who stood up after him, was talking about the Prophet of Islam. The job they came was to pave the way for Mashiach. And to prepare the whole world to be able to serve Hashem. And how did they do that? Because of their influence, the whole world knows about the idea of Torah, the idea of Mitzvah. And this idea is spread even to the most distant islands. Into far flung we were previously pagan nations. Because they discussed these things. Except, even though they're doing a job, it's not the, the, the MS, it's not the final point. And that uh, says, the Ramah concludes, it says, And when Mashiach comes and reveals the hidden points, which was the MS, and he'll be successful and be exalted of everything else. They'll all admit and realize that what their, their version was wrong, was false. 
They were misled by their parents, by their prophets, whatever it is. Rambam. Rambam says that there's a Tzu'eles in the cosmic scale, in Hashem's grandest scheme of things, for the religions, even if they're religions which are, so to speak, uh, enemies. And that is they're working to preparing the ground for the world to accept Mashiach. How are they doing that? So let's understand, really, two different perspectives, two angles about the great achievements of Avram Avinu. What Avram did to change the world. What Avram altered the way mankind thought. The first thing we know about Avram Avinu is that he came across a world which was inundated with Avodah Paganism, statues, idols which were bound down to. And Avram literally, like the Midrash tells us, but also figuratively, smashed the idols. The Ram tells the he spent years arguing with the philosophers or the thinkers of the times to discredit their, their belief system in idols. And he brought the world to recognize that there's one Hashem. They call monotheism. Really, the individual who single-handedly brought the world of his time to recognize that was Avraham Avinu. That was the first point. That there's only one creator. There's a second point also, which once again, the opponents of Avraham in his time argued about and this was the second major principle that Avraham Avinu revealed to the world and that is there was the opinion of the philosophers which they held even hundreds of years later thousands of years later in the time of the Greeks it was the same original opinion and that is that even if there is a creator he's in no way connected or involved in what people do there's no possibility of a human making a relationship with an all-powerful creator. And Avram proved that wrong as well. Avram was the one who taught the world that it's possible to have a relationship with the creator. It's possible to be a novi that the creator can speak to. It's possible to do mitzvahs, which uh, is what the Creator wants. Avram can make a bris with Hashem. And therefore, this is the greatest argument against those philosophers who felt that there's no way for a person to relate to Hashem or to connect to Him. Avram proved that not true. Obviously, Avram's heir to Yiddishkeit was Yitzchak, Yaakov, which brought to the Jewish people. But Yishmael and Esav were also descendants of Avram. And therefore, they too took a certain element of what Avram taught the world. This remained within the DNA, if you're going to call it that of Esav and Yishmael, 
and therefore years, centuries later, with the religions that they founded, there was a certain element, maybe distorted, but nevertheless, an element which came from the MS that Abraham taught the world. Let's start with Ishmael first. The religion of Ishmael mirrors Yiddishkeit in the fact of its belief that there's only one Hashem and there's no physical representation of the Hashem. So much so I heard from Moshe Shapiro years ago that the reason why Muslims won't have any kind of picture or image of their prophets is really stemming from an anathema of a desire that no one should try and deify him that's one thing that they got from Abraham that's, that's something which becomes a part of their religion too the concept that there's only one Hashem and there's no physical representation of the Hashem the point which Asaph took Again, distorted, but nevertheless, coming from a point of Avram, was the fact that a person can connect to Hashem. There isn't that absolute divide between mankind and the, the all-powerful Creator. They took it too far, maybe. Maybe the lines between man and Hashem got too blurred. But at least the idea that there's an instruction from Hashem and a person can fulfill Hashem's instructions. They took out Torah. The whole idea of Torah is the fact that HaKadosh Baruch Hu reveals Himself to people and instructs them. And they incorporated that principle into their religion too. So again, we know that neither are the Amis. That when Mashiach will come, both will be exposed as being false. But there's a certain element of MS which each one has inherited from Avram and becomes part of their religion as well. Now the Rambam says that the job of these religions in the divine scale of things is to prepare the world for Melech HaMashiach. To prepare the world in the sense that because each one has taken under its, so to speak, tutelage, under its direction, so many of these non-Jewish nations. As a result, all these formerly pagan heathen nations in far-flung places, in forgotten islands, all over the planet, have begun to hear these concepts. Whether it's from the Christian missionaries who propound to them about the idea that there's something called the Torah, at least the concept they've heard, whether it's the forces of the Ishmael, they've arrived with a concept of understanding that paganism is wrong. So in that way, so to speak, they're preparing for the Melech HaMashiach. The concepts of Yiddishkeit, which have been adopted by these other religions too, Hashem is one, 
and that he's given us instruction through the Torah is being spread on our, really by the other religions that's, it's in order that that way the whole world is aware of these things like the Rambam writes it's a tremendous chiddush this Rambam now let's look at another point This is the fundamental point which I want to discuss. Hopefully we'll tie the pieces together. So the first point we spoke about was the Imuna, the belief of each of these, of Yishmael, the belief of Adam, of Esau. Let's talk about the next point, where it's put into action. Let's put into action. And this again brings us to a big difference between the worldviews of Esav and the worldview of Ishmael. And to understand this, let's look at the Gemara. The Gemara is in Megillah, and the Gemara is discussing the Pasuk that it says after the Jews' victory against Haman. It's a famous Pasuk. The Jewish people had Aira, Simcha, and Sasan, and Yakar, which literally means light and happiness, exaltation, and honor. But the Gemara explains it. And the Gemara says, Aira to Torah. The Jewish people had light, that's the Torah. The Simcha, the Yamtaf. They had happiness, that was the Yamtaf. The Sasan, Zumila. Sasan is Brismila. And Yikar is Tfilin. Yikar is the Tfilin we put on our heads. That's our honor. That's our symbol of importance. What's the difference between Simcha and Sasan? They both refer to happiness. Why is one called Yamtif and the other one Brismila? So the first point first. There's two kinds of ways a person feels happiness. There's one which is a steady happiness. A person's enjoying himself, everything's going well, a person's successful. That state of mind of enjoyment that we call simcha. Happiness. Then there's a different kind of feeling of joy. And that is the feeling a person gets of sudden happiness. Suddenly something works out with them. Suddenly they understand something. Suddenly they make a lot of money. They win the lottery. That first feeling of, so to speak, indescribable joy which bursts forth from a person is called sasam. Similarly, let's say a person is in a conflict, wins the battle. That first feeling of enjoyment that he won, that's called sasan. Then we have to understand. That's the case. (coughs) Why does the Gemara compare Simcha to Yamtaf? And Sasan to Brismila. 
And the idea is like this. Yom Tif, it's called a Mayad. A Mayad is a place of meeting. It's a place of meeting. We meet Hashem and Yom Tif. Physically, in the time of the Besamekdash, and we would all come up to Besamekdash to be present in Nazar. But even without that today, at least on the spiritual level, we meet with Hashem. It's part of an ongoing relationship. And therefore, the feeling one has in Yom Tov is Simcha. Of happiness. Sasan, the feeling is generated by something new. When a child has a breast, he's now begun a new relationship with Hashem. That newness is the cause of Sasan. There's something new. Like the positive says, David, when he found something new in his learning, was happy like someone had just discovered a treasure. When a person offers, gets to enjoy the treasure, he can live a life of luxury because of that simcha. But finding the treasure, that initial burst of joy, is called sasa. Prismeda is a new start of the relationship with Hashem. That's called sasa. Yom Tov, which is celebrating the ongoing relationship we have with Hashem, that's called Simcha. Now, it's interesting to note that the one mitzvah that Yishmol keeps very well. The mitzvah that got from Abraham Avinu, which remains a part of them, is bris Mela. Even though Asaph was also given a bris as a child, but uh, Asaph's religion lost bris Mela. It remains the province of Ishmael. We'll spend this in a few minutes, but in the meantime, that's why Ishmael is called Sasan. Sasan Zumila, the Maila that Yishmael has is their connection to the Brismila, that's the Eschos, so to speak. And therefore they're called Sasan. Aesov, what we see about Aesov, with the Gemara it says, Never desire. About Lifni Yedem. The celebrations that the going used to make, all the pomp and ceremony, and uh, so to speak, that kind of celebration was always the province of Asaph, of the Christian nations. Again, if you must understand what the mindset is, well, there was Yamtav, not the Yamtavs of the Torah, but the idea of a Yamtav. I do have a festival. And that's why Simcha, which is the idea of Yom Tov, applies to Esav. So we're starting to see an inkling to this Gemara. The two minim that the Gemara is talking about, Sosan and Simcha, which is hiding the identity just by their titles, is really an argument between Esav and Ishmael. And the argument between Yaisa and Yishmael is Apila Emes. The Torah teaches us that they both play a role 
in bringing to the coming of Mashiach. The argument between them is who's playing the primary role. Is Sassan before Simcha or is Simcha before Sassan? Is the main factor which brings to the coming of Mashiach Esau's a contribution? Or is the main which is, we said as a contribution, is declaring to the whole world that there's a concept called Torah that, that Hashem can relate to people? What is Yishma's contribution? And Yishma's contribution to the world is that there's only one Hashem. That is not physical. Now, let's go one stage further and understand this a bit better. The Gemara says in the that in the future, HaKadosh Baruch will bring a Sefer Torah. And HaKadosh Baruch will say, whoever had a Chalik in the Torah should come and receive reward. And the Gemara says that Esav in Paras, Rabbi in Paras, which the version teaches, Paras is really the empire which accepted Islam. Today that would be Iran, that area. They'll both come. And Hashem will first ask Esav, in what merit do you believe that you have the right to get rewarded? What did you do for the Torah? And the Gemara says, Esav is going to say, I did plenty for the Torah. I built marketplaces, made bathhouses, amassed fortune of money. And it was all for terror. And Hashem's answer to Esav is, Shaitim Shabbat You did all those things. Yes, you established cities and markets, and you built bathhouses, and you amassed money, but you didn't do that for terror. You don't deserve reward. And Paris is going to come next. And when Hashem directs the question to Paras, what did you do for Torah? Paras's answer is going to be us. We fought wars. We built bridges. And we did that all for Torah. <laughs> we were suicide bombers for Torah. We sent rockets for Torah. And Hashem is going to say to them, you did all those things. But it wasn't for Torah. So Esav and Yishmael, Paras and Rami, don't come with the same arguments. What's the difference between what Esav believes Etid for Torah and Yishmael believes Etid for Torah? And here we come to the deep understanding of these two religions. There's a certain depth to what Avraham Avinu taught the world. And the depth what Abraham taught the world that the world can relate to Hashem is you have to understand what the world looked like before that. The world at the time of the Mabel, for example, the world in the generations before Adam, before Abraham, it was a very cruel world. It was either a world of the law of the jungle that everybody lives for himself and loots and kills if he's in the, in the position of being stronger. Or the religions there were, now we know from the original religions of Canaan, were very cruel religions, condoning human sacrifice, and among other crimes against people.
And if people understood in the terms of a religion, it was, so to speak, to be subservient to some greater power. For what purpose? Well, each of our desires and philosophy. Avram's Chiddush, that a person can connect to Hashem, was that the ability of the person to connect to Hashem, and by extension, the reason why Hashem creates the person is to do chesed. Is to do chesed. And therefore, the person is really created in order to receive chesed. Hashem creates a person to do good to him. The world is created to do good. And if that's the case, and I'm just quoting outside of exactly what the message Hashem says, that if a person is misbeinen, why Hashem creates a person in the world? That a person is created, lahanus, to enjoy. A person was created to be a recipient of Taiba. To enjoy. That concept is an underlying concept of Christianity. And by extension, the Western philosophy. A person is here to become happy. To pursue happiness. Again, it's something they gleaned from their ancestor Abraham. And therefore, Ace of Romy's argument is what did they do in the world? They created the means for happiness. Marketplaces where everything's available, bathhouses where people could enjoy themselves, a lot of money. These are all forms of human pleasure. And Ace's argument is we made the world so much more of a happy place. We gave people so much opportunities to enjoy, to be happy. And that's a prerequisite for Torah. Because the Torah's philosophy is that a person was created to enjoy. This is not the pagan philosophy that a man is made to suffer. Or he just happens to be here without being made for anything. In which case it's just like the law of the jungle and whoever's stronger wants. Yeah, says Ace of our philosophy. If a man was made to enjoy, that's a path to Torah. And therefore, we want to be rewarded on investing in making the world a place which people which people could enjoy. That's what we meant before. Simcha Zuyamtuf. Enjoyment, this like Yantif. It's uh, when we meant to use this world to enjoy. That's the matter of Yantif. That's the direction of Asaf. Ishmael's direction is different. Ishmael's direction, what Para said, we fought wars, we built bridges. If the point of the world that they understand is the fact that there's one Hashem and therefore their job is to bring the world to that recognition 
Then the way they chose to do that, and again, learn from their ancestor, Rama Vino. It's through mysterious nefesh. We're willing to sacrifice ourselves, so to speak, for that religion. And therefore, yes, they went to battle. They make going to battle parts of the enshrined in the doctrine of the faith. Because it's a religion which idealizes its mysterious nefesh, its martyrdom. And Adarab, that's what it gave the world. War. But they said this is also a prerequisite for terror. Because you can be used as the model what it means to be most nefesh. What it means to sacrifice oneself. And it begins already with the bris Which is already a first level of sacrifice. First of all, a person is prepared to, so to speak, give up, like the Ramban explains. Physically. And that's Ishmael's Sassim. The happiness not come, which doesn't come from making this world a place of, so to speak, luxury. It comes from the success of victory. The enjoyment of battle. That sudden, so to speak, Exaltation when a person is victorious. That's Ishmael's contribution. And that the Gemara says is the Machlagas between Sasan and Simcha. Which one comes first? What's more important? The mind the mindset that the world's created for the person to enjoy? Or the, world, or the view that people have to be most nefesh. Each one finds a pasuk which puts their quality first. But now what's the MS? What do we clients or believe in? And the answer is, like we said, both Ishmael and Esau took something from Abraham Avinu, but each only took a part. Because there's a high level of both of them. Let's go back to the topic we began. I heard him say, Aira, the Simcha, the Sasan, the Kar. Aira is the Taira. The Simcha is the Yantif. The Sasan is the Mila. The Kar is the Tvilin. And we see both Sasan and Simcha have a twin. Simcha goes with Aira. Happiness goes with Taira. And Sasan goes with your car. The Sassan goes with Tvilin. What a Klai shall add to each of these levels? So let's go to Asa first. We saw Asa's worldview that the world is here for people to enjoy. Is right. But it's only the first part of the Pasuk. And Sishon carries on. And says, The person is only created to enjoy himself. But the Tainogamiti and the Idnagadl, the real pleasure that a person is meant to enjoy is Alamaba. Is Taira. And therefore it's true. Akadish Baruch creates a person to be good to him. Akadish Baruch wants the person to enjoy. 
But don't stop at enjoying the physical world. Making this place a more hedonistic environment where a person can enjoy physically. The enjoyment has to get to somewhere. It has to bring to the Oyer Zotayra. It has to bring to the enjoyment that Hashem really intends to give a person, which is the enjoyment of the Oyer Mabah. And so it's true, the direction is right. A person isn't created to suffer. A person is created to enjoy. But the question is, enjoy what? What does the person have to focus on? What's the enjoyment I'm trying to get to? And that's the Gemara's response to Simcha. To an extent, you're right. There is a maida in Simcha, there's a maida in being happy in Yamtaf and enjoying the world. But Chad Yama, they'll make you into Parvanko, they'll make you into a signpost. Your direction is right. But don't stop there, it has to get somewhere. Yes, Hashem wants a person to be besimcha. The world's here to give to him. But not bathhouses and marketplaces. The world's here to be utilized to get real reward, which is Torah. So simcha has a role to play in the world as a signpost. To set the direction, to show which way we go. Not more than that. Their interpretation of how to achieve that simcha. The yamtas they made for themselves were wrong. And therefore it's true. In the cosmic scale, the idea that they did much to make the world more enjoyable, could that contribute to terror? It could do. It's a signpost. It's a point that people are meant to understand the world is to be enjoyed. But like Hashem tells them, you're not going to get rewarded for that. Because even if that's the, what it does do, it definitely wasn't your intention in doing that. And what about Yishmael? It's true that there's a point for a serious nefesh. But this is a critical point. A serious nefesh means a person gives up Kashmir's. A person is willing to sacrifice physicality. But it doesn't stop there. It's in order to receive Ruchnius instead. If a person is something physical, it's in order to get back a high level of Ruchnius. Ishmael never got to the second stage. Going to war, sacrificing oneself on the battlefield, Being a shihad, as they call it, someone who died for their religion, that's glorified as an end in its own right. But that's not the way it's meant to be. Yiddish guy doesn't respect mysterious nefesh just as mysterious nefesh. It's because a person is willing to forego pleasure, because a person is willing to give up something, willing to sacrifice. And what we want back for that is a much higher level of Ruchnis. Sasan goes with your car. The process which starts with a person who's willing to give up a certain amount of physicality with the bris but we want back the honor of being able to wait for it. 
just like the bris is a sign of the fact we have Adam of Hashem, and it's something which requires sacrifice to a certain level, but we want to get to the stage where we wear the tefillin, which is our honor, our crown that we have Adam of Hashem. And therefore the Gemara turns around to Sosim and says, one day they will make you into a clean to fill with water. That's true. Mysterious nefesh is something which maybe is there to make the body less physical. It's there to prepare a kli. But that's all Ishmael can do with it. We can use it one day to fill it with water. We can use the mail of mysterious nefesh as a way to be mail ourselves with ruchness. And that's the MS, which to get with those two points which neither of them realized the greatness of Avram in revealing that the world has one God the greatness of Avram in willing to be moist and nefesh when he landed himself to be thrown into the furnace when he was willing to shakti Yitzchak didn't just stop there it was in order to become more Ruchni. It wasn't like Parai said, we fought, we fought battles. That's not the end in its own right. It's in order to get to somewhere greater. So yes, Yishmael can be a, a key, but we can learn from it that the world can learn from him. Mysterious Nefesh. But it has to be then used to be filled with water. Avram's mysterious nefesh wasn't just mysterious nefesh from the point of martyrdom. It was to achieve a level of ruchness. And so to Avram's revelation that Hashem wants to connect to people, that Hashem wants to do good to people, doesn't stop there. Asaph took that part of the, of the message. Asaph could have broadcast this to the whole world as well. But it's not just Hashem wants to be good to people here. Hashem wants to be good to people in the true goodness which is Adam Abba. But Asa and Yishmael can do their job by preparing the groundwork, so to speak. So when Mashiach comes, he can just add the corrections to the world's perception. And that's the explanation of the Gemara. The argument between Yishmael and Simcha and how each one in the future, the job they play Asaph as a signpost and Yishmuel as the water as the key to fill with water. And this is the idea of Sukkot as well. The Parayachag, the infants of the Goyim in the world, which we said forms the two spheres of Asaph and Yishmuel, like the Raman taught us, there is a place for them. They have a job to do. But it diminishes. Because it's only a preparation for the future, which is the Gili of Mashiach. And that's the idea of the battle of Gog and Magog. Gog and Magog is the gematria of 70 also. It's in, it will involve all 70 nations fighting each other, also fighting the Jewish people. And the conclusion of that battle, the, vict- the victors which will emerge will be Klai Yisrael, for the coming of Mashiach. As the Pasuk says, the Rina Aftar, Vayashim the Menach al Kadaretz. And 
The world's already been primed to understand the concept of one God. And that it's the God who wants to do good. But the Emes, the Emes which Klaishal carries with them, will only be revealed then, after the battle of Gog and Magog, and after Amun concludes, the whole world will see that what they received until now wasn't exactly right. But Mashiach will be Yaram and will be successful, and that will bring that this is the real Emes. And I'm finish where we began. That we have the Messiah of Haivgan. is the Kayach of Sukkis. The conclusion of the Battle of Gog and Magog, that final Shardan, and that final victory, is something we read about in the Torah, because that's something we look forward to happening, and we're going to celebrate on the Yom of Sukkis.